0: You're listening to RevOps FM with Justin Norris. We all know that ops is hard in a company of any size, but in the biggest enterprises, there's some special challenges. First off, there's more of everything there's more people, process, technology, projects are more complicated. Communication takes more time, and so the question I wanted to ask today is, what does it actually take to succeed as an ops leader in some of these crazy complex environments? Today's guest is the great Paul Wilson. Today he is the CEO of GTM Systems, which is an agency focused on GTM operations, but before that, Paul, you've been a marketing ops executive, a dream resume of companies, Marketo, Adobe, Slack, Salesforce. I have to think that the real high point for you was probably when you got to work with me at Prokudo. Am I right? It really was. You could Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> have to say that. But really, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. It is great to speak with you. Oh,
1: it's, it's an honor. You and I have a long history of breakfasts and coffee and discussions, awesome topic. So this is going to be awesome.
0: I listed a bunch of things that, you, that you've that you done and it wasn't even the half of it. You've been a consultant, you've been in-house, you've been big, small, you now are starting an entrepreneurial journey, running your own shop. I'm just curious what type of work have you found so far has been the most rewarding for you? The work that's
1: the most enjoyable and the work that kind of drives me forward is the human factor, the solving challenges with people parts. So it isn't a specific technology, isn't it? a specific data challenge or getting integrations to to run. Those are the endorphin rushes of what systems can do when you finally see a green light from the red light. That's always great. I have that feeling. The the real factor for me has always been in, in pretty much every role that I've done either with technology or in other parts of the world. It's the human factors of working with others to solve problems or challenges that are really in the way. Really.
0: So when you, when you talk about those people factors, do you mean working with those other people in the ops field or collaborating with your stakeholders on other teams where you need to, you know, with sales or in marketing or whatever, or is it both?
1: Yeah, it's definitely a blend of both because, you know, when there are, when there are challenges to address, like let's think about you know, if, if we put it in the context of an example if you're working on a migration there's the connective tissue that the team doing the work has and that work needs to be coordinated and, and and the work needs to flow and when those people work well together it's enjoyable you know even if the challenges themselves are almost insurmountable the camaraderie and the connection is important and then in terms of that stakeholder alignment um You know, being a a people pleaser, I've often, you know, it it is a very good feeling to feel as if you're solving a challenge that your customer, internal or otherwise, is looking to see solved. So, again, that is a partnership to me, is ensuring that, uh, you know, the the teams doing the work, the teams leading the organizational change, sort of all of the layers are in the same canoe, paddling in the same direction, really trying to pull that problem forward. And those are those moments that I feel really most energized and like, I, I want to do that work.
0: I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode, Knack. You know, I love marketing automation software, but let's be honest, the email and landing page builders are usually terrible. You can't make it nice without a developer and marketers are going to find a way to break things or go off brand. You do not have time for that. So Knack is totally different. You set the guidelines and then give your users a building experience that's slick, modern and beautiful. When they're done, everything goes to your map at the push of a button. And don't worry, it supports global teams, approval workflows. It's got your integrations. So head on over to revops.fm forward slash that's K-N-A-K, and get a special offer just for my listeners. Let's unpack that a little bit more. You've had a number of experiences where you stepped into a pretty big role at some of these places and with a pretty big mandate, I know, to migrate huge systems or integrate acquired companies. How do you start that process? Because in the beginning, you're coming in and, and you don't have those relationships. How do you kind of map out an organization and set yourself up for success?
1: To me, the first most important investigation to do in the roles that I've moved into has been establishing what I believe the mandate of the role needs to be and comparing that and pushing around to find out what is the organization's expectation of the mandate of the role. So if I come in and I believe that in order to accomplish the operational goal set in front of me, like migrate three systems into one big new system, if I believe that the mandate entails spending dollars, removing people, and hiring people, I need to be very clear that that's what I need to deliver the magic of making three things turn into one. And I push and test that with the organization that I'm in to say, Are you going to be comfortable giving me these things not just with me asking for them like will you be Mm -hmm. able to empower me and if the answer is no it isn't necessarily that you throw up your hands and you leave it's okay well what do i have like what what are the edges of that mandate because in order to help work with others uh, and to be a part of the team that's running that transformation i need to be able to provide the information to the team i'm working with that says yeah we're not going to be able to hire an agency or we will be able to hire like all of Mm -hmm. the parameters need to be clear Because when you're looking to embark on a transformational change, you don't want to overcommit. And I've been in circumstances where, you know, unfortunately, the rules change or budgets move and whatnot. And so you need to know what the impact is of that on the mandate that you have.
0: How do you consider, how do you define the role of marketing ops? What would be in scope and out of scope from your point of view? Yeah, great question. Um, You said that's a, a one hour.
1: Podcast
0: at its core,
1: one of the easiest places to see the practical difference between marketing ops and sales ops is in the simple experience that a lot of us have had where you're in a discussion with the team that's working in Salesforce. And they talk about the notions of making changes in sandbox and promoting them to production, and that is not the way marketing operations works. That's not the way that the systems have been established in the market. It'd be great if they did, but they don't work that mm-hmm. way. And so, what I've tried to explain to people in sales operations before, so that they kind of get the the picture, is that it isn't just that simple foundational difference of having a sandbox or not. It's that imagine if the sellers using Salesforce that you are working in their live production instance of are unable to send an email to a prospect delivering them a quote because Mm -hmm. of something that's happened or changed in the environment. And they're on you right there telling you to get it fixed or requesting that these fields get created or making this change on the fly. And the operational distinction of working in a live environment that marketers are always trying to do things in means the discipline of control and change management and everything related to how marketing operations has to function needs to provide the diligence that sales operations enjoys in having a sandbox in a production environment without the latitude of time, because generally speaking, there isn't a foundational dependency of what sales ops does in Salesforce to the day-to-day production of a sales organization. They can still send an email. They can pick up the phone. They can reach out on Slack or LinkedIn or whatever it is and communicate and send things. Salesforce isn't the dependent platform for that function to occur. In marketing, the technologies that we work in are the live environment that deliver everything that marketers do. And so we have a much higher uh, degree of risk, and we have a much higher degree of responsibility. And I think that where there's challenges is when marketers have an expectation that they can just request a change and it will happen without understanding the degree of the Mm -hmm. interconnectedness of things and the risks that can occur on a platform that isn't necessarily as stable as they may think it is. So understanding scope, understanding all of these things our internal customers not understanding what it is that we do like all of these challenges pile on to the fact that we're in a, a live production environment 100% of the time
0: but but why like why can't we have a functioning sandbox like marketing automation's been around for 15 years have they not figured this out yet I know that's not I don't blame you for it but why well, did you, ha- you, you hazard know, a guess why we can't have nice things
1: I, I would hazard the guess being that the tenuous connection in finance's definition of marketing to revenue means that spending dollars in that area of comfort isn't as critical as spending dollars to make sure that the opportunity object in Salesforce never breaks. So it it's the cultural notion that which needs to go away, honestly. Like, go-to-market is is everything. Mm-hmm. It's everything from the anonymous web visit through to the renewal. And I think establishing a paradigm that says all of these systems are as equally critical in a world that's pure, almost pure digital. So digital experiences are all experiences, be they marketing sales or customer success experiences. So we don't get to have fancy things because... The history of 15 years has been you didn't really need them did you i mean you said you did but here we are you're doing fine you're Aren't doing you happy it. you're doing it so we enabled the pain that we're suffering in today which is what being in marketing operations is all
0: about is less proximity to it a factor Was crm more it adjacent somehow and so the expectation of the proper environments was there and maybe marketing. Yeah, like, I see. Well, if they're just out on the fringes with their brochures and their trade yeah, shows that they right. could do.
1: Yeah. The, that, that lineage and you know, we're definitely dating ourselves and having conversations about brochures and whatnot. But I think that the, the proximity to IT and the transformation that I have seen happen in the enterprise space over the last, you know, five five to seven years is we've seen the, the distinction between technology and operations. So you can, I I now see in many organizations where the technology is considered the property of IT, where Salesforce or the CRM is owned by the IT organization. They extend their um, ITIL methodology on, you know, you make a request, it gets processed, it gets put into a sprint, it goes through a, a, a mechanism And the enterprise organizations have adapted to that rhythm within sales operations where they know that there will be another sprint. There will be a change that happens. The operations teams working in Salesforce that run the deal desk that use, you know, manage cases that facilitate the usage by sales and by customer support and customer success. All of those teams are foundationally aware that now Salesforce has been absorbed into this diligent world of IT. Marketing technology is still a bit of a mystery. So there are organizations Mm -hmm. who've attempted to put Marketo and other marketing automation platforms into the IT regime. And I've been adjacent to and present in the conversations where you see the Mm -hmm. IT executives saying, what do you mean you don't have a sandbox? Like there's still just a gap of understanding and appreciation of what that live stack environment feels like from an operations lens. So there will probably be adaptations that come from vendors like Salesforce and Adobe and HubSpot as they try to push farther into those enterprise organizations where the ability and the capability to have full live environment sandboxes is easier. But the reality is the expectation of our clients in marketing is, but the email needs to go out tomorrow. It has to, it just has to. Like, so there's this difficult tension uh, that we, that we live in.
0: I experienced that tension at times. Um, we all, we all, we you, all live we, in that tension. We live, we, we swim in that tension. You took this actually to a place where I wanted to go, which is when I started, for a long time, in, in marketing ops, marketing ops, marketing automation, marketing technology, they were almost synonyms. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's ever been that way in in sales ops. Like you alluded to, a lot of the sales ops functions and responsibilities: deal desk, comp planning, territory planning, you know, supporting sales leaders, much more of like a, a go to market and strategic CPQ-CL sometimes. C P Q, yeah, and, and, and like my own organization, we have a sales ops team. We have a Salesforce team, which kind of rolls into sales ops, but is distinct. And then sales ops is more sales process, improving our methodology. And that distinction, it doesn't exist with the same level of clarity I find in marketing operations. I think a lot of practitioners are still system admins, primarily, first and foremost. Some teams have those other functions, but I don't see it in the same way, and so I guess I'm curious, do you think that just doesn't exist because it's not needed, or is it is that where it's going, and it's just like a maturation of this function where Where does it go
1: I think it is it it's largely related to the developmental maturity of the organization that you're that you're looking at, so I think that the uh, Landing marketing technology inside marketing spend and marketing process means in most organizations, there isn't an existing, respect is such a dangerous word to say here, but there isn't an existing appreciation for the need for process, for infrastructure, for you know, the, the, the elements of control. And so in that marketing operations world, almost everybody's an admin because almost anybody is going to be called on to solve an solve an immediate problem. And I think that the organizations who mature past that point are a little less agile from the marketer's perspective, but a little bit more consistent from the brand experience and the, proper respect of privacy and compliance rules, the proper handling of data, like all of the foundational concerns that I think are going to become much more prominent.
0: Another angle into the same thing might be to what extent should marketing operations influence or help define marketing strategy? Sometimes you see people with titles like director strategy and operations where, because there's a difference between, we need to climb this mountain help us figure out how to do it and make sure we do it in an efficient way and that it gets done and marketing ops doesn't really ask like should we climb this mountain? is this the right mountain? is it a good idea right, right. Yeah. the right time of year versus let's figure out which mountain to climb or if we maybe we should you know go for a swim instead or whatever and uh, and then figure well, out also how to do it
1: i love that analogy actually so mountain climbing is one that you know actually Just a little earlier today, I was in a conversation and and mountains were the topic because, you know, if you think about the idea that, um, if you're a marketer and you tell me and I'm in operations that, you know, the goal is to climb, you know, the three sisters in Alberta, like that's, Mm -hmm. that's the goal, um, there's so many dimensions that from an operations perspective come to bear on how, how does that get addressed? So, uh, you know, it could be that you would like to, you know, you would like for marketing to be able to achieve the, the task of climbing those mountains. And there's three of them. And so you've asked for this and we are in, you know, we're in Toronto And so marketing operations people are gonna be like, okay, well, so we need to get to Alberta. We need to figure out where we can get the climbing gear. We need to be able to. And you're you're telling me that I need to do that. I've got $18 to spend. So from an operations perspective, the ability to like there's so many dimensions that come to mind. And, you know, so there's that marketing operations organization that has the $18, three people, and I need to get marketing to the top of three different mountains in Alberta. And then there's the marketing Then there's the, the marketing operations team that is like, well, we can get in the corporate helicopter and I can drop you there. And so they have all of the capability. They have all the capacity. And that's what the marketing team says. Well, no, it's not about getting to the top of the mountains. It's about climbing them and going up. Oh yeah, but we, we, we just, we will drop you from the helicopter on the top of the mountain. And that's what we do. And so the operations discussion, long way to get to your point. I believe that campaign engineering needs to be a function and it's a missed function in all marketing planning and the capacity of having a campaign engineer connecting the abilities of data and systems and processes to deliver on the promises that marketing is looking for. That gap has caused a lot of issues and a lot of challenges in our space. And it's a very important and missing process for post-marketing organizations to have that voice at the table to say that fancy campaign you plan to, to do next fiscal year leveraging generative AI because you heard about it on LinkedIn we don't have the data all of the systems you're talking about don't integrate today I'm supposed to reduce our technology spend by 15 percent how exactly do you want me to accomplish the mechanics of you delivering this magical experience that you think you can deliver as a marketer. We need to be in the room all the time.
0: So campaign engineering, that's an interesting term. Maybe the first time I've heard it. And like typically we talk about campaign operations, which to me is more like, you need to run a webinar. All right, we're going to do bang, yep. bang, boom. And we're going to do Rinse and repeat. this. This is much more of like you are there in the room advising on the feasibility um, potential implications as the, the strategy is being defined. Is that what you mean?
1: Yeah. So, um, the, the role of a campaign architect or campaign engineer is a marketing campaign that runs on so many different fronts now. And the digital experience of that campaign is so critical that marketers can imagine what they want that digital experience to be. They want to be able to curate that experience. And the reality is to deliver that experience, there's data, there's systems, there's process, there's everything that needs to happen underneath. And that campaign architect or engineer is the person who's in the room saying, we, we we can do that, but we don't have a system today like qualified that integrates the chat experience right into Salesforce. So Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll need, we'll, we'll need to get something on the roadmap. To do some investigations do you have the budget and so we now come all the way back full circle the idea of mandate so even a campaign has to have a mandate so what is the spend what's the number of resources that can be applied and the campaign architect or engineer is the person in the room looking at the experience that is expected and trying to align it to what is possible or what needs to be invested in to get to that possible So campaign operations as a discipline is working within the current capabilities Mm -hmm. and operating them, running that, doing the work, delivering the assets into the market, supporting the data flow, everything that happens within the known universe. And then the campaign architect or campaign engineer needs to be in the room because marketers don't know when they're at the edge of that universe. Mm -hmm. So they may think, well, yeah, we're it's just a. A new set of Nurture emails, surely we can do that. But what if that new set of Nurture nurture emails is dependent on a piece of product telemetry that isn't currently getting into the marketing infrastructure? All of a sudden, there's an engineering effort or an architectural effort that needs to be deployed because it isn't just a matter of a few different emails that are being sent in a Nurture case. It's a different picture. So marketing operations or technology people need to be present in almost every new imaginative conversation that marketing is driving
0: Yeah, what i'm envisioning as you're talking i always like to use physical building met- metaphors but it's kind of like having an engineer a structural engineer a civil engineer in the room to advise on like, you're building this massive skyscraper right. or this fancy bridge and like can this actually stand up uh will it yeah. obey the laws I mean, of physics and
1: that's a, that's a great analogy because you know it's 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 wonderful that a tenant in the building is up on the 78th floor and they're looking at the beautiful vistas that this room has and they're thinking this is this is amazing Um, i would like my kitchen to be right here and the engineer is the person that's in the room going okay we're 78 floors up and there is no plumbing on this side of the building how how are we gonna how yeah it's it'd be a great spot for your kitchen but the infrastructure is out there we can get it there do you have four and a half million dollars to put your kitchen in this space? Yes or no?
0: Yeah, anything is possible with time and money. But is it is it worth yep. it? I think in some ways, a lot of what you're describing there is the enterprise perspective kind of infused into it. Mm-hmm. And I I want to address this a little more explicitly because me and Mike, my, my daily reality at a 400 person company is 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 different. And so I and I know you've experienced both sides. So let's say I was going to. To to leave my uh, my job tomorrow and go work at a ten thousand person company. What should I expect to be different? Not I'm not doing that. I'm just hypothetical for some the hypothetical listener who is contemplating that change. What kind of shock to the system should they expect moving into that environment?
1: Did you just resign on your podcast? I
0: mean, <laughs> we can edit this out later. Um,
1: yeah. no. I I think that it's really it's that's a difficult question to answer because I have seen. a a range of agility in the enterprise space there there are many dimensions is it centralized or decentralized do they have operational maturity or they do not are they um a process and systems heavy operational organization Um, so you know the experience of working in a 37 year old software company (laughs) demonstrated that that organization Mm -hmm. Has process. They have ways that things happen. They they don't move quickly. So if you're moving from a four hundred person to a ten thousand person company, you need to understand some of the cultural, um, operational factors to know. Okay, you may want to show up and and be scrappy and do things your own way and and break the mold and do things different
0: mm-hmm.
1: and immediately find out but there is no mandate for you to do that. Um, so in the shift, it's a matter of establishing the relationships with navigators inside that organization who can teach you about the operational culture of the organization. They can provide you with the guidance so that you become literate in accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish. And in Other enterprise organizations they have little operational structure which can be very empowering Um, but the challenge then becomes you find out that there are you know not only are you you know you're the new chief cook in the kitchen but you also find out that there are 37 other kitchens so there's a bunch of other people doing things in a bunch of different ways and The brand experience is very fragmented. The ability of you to influence and change things across the board is very limited. So you might be able to be in a 10,000-person organization and do things however you want. But in essence, you're you're on an island.
0: So although I have not had the experience of working for a company that size, I have consulted for them. I've been embedded inside them. And my observation there is... Uh, and this would be one of the more you know process-oriented ones that you described, let's say. And my observation was the, the work becomes so much more meta. Like, you're not saying, all right, we want to do this thing, let's do it. It's, let's have a meeting to create the deck to pitch the boss's boss on building a plan for then creating a mandate to do this thing maybe in Q3 of next year. And... And that can be hard, like, like there's a, a completely different skill set, like you said, to navigating that process and understanding the, these are the buttons you push to get things done here. Does it great? I suppose, ever? Does it ever feel hard to, to do that? Or is it just like, nope, this is actually, this is how this game is played. And I enjoy moving through these systems and achieving things within this framework.
1: I think you probably know me well enough to know that I don't run on PowerPoint. I do find that challenging and I have in the experience of my career, I can do that. It's not the way I, I like to work, but it just becomes what you are looking for in your experience. So the ability to work at enterprise scale is a different skill set. The skill set that I feel I learned, apart from PowerPoint skills, was the ability to communicate value of effort and that is something that isn't necessarily as significant in smaller organizations but it made me look a little differently at the work and effort of what marketing operations and marketing technology can achieve because the contribution of putting emails in market faster the contribution of cleaner data All of these elements are very difficult to enunciate Mm -hmm. until you've had to really push and, and think about what the upstream message needs to be that says, at the C level, the messaging is, the brand will be stronger. At the SVP level, the messaging is, we will be different, that difference makes the brand stronger. The messaging at the director level is an operational discipline that we need in order to be able to deliver a better experience that makes the brand stronger. At the senior manager level, it's that stuff that has been a pain for us to manage and deal with for years can now possibly be funded because it'll make the brand experience more experience. More, you like it. It's the cascade all the way down the chain of what the impact bubbles up to. And Mm -hmm. seeing it at that enterprise scale is informative and it's helpful to really understand how to deliver the message that matters to the people at the level that they're at. So,
0: and that's an amazing skill, what you just described and what you just kind of modeled in real time. To me, that is a significant differentiator between maybe a very talented, technician or technologist, you know, systems integrator, even someone who's very good with process, but they don't necessarily know how to maneuver within a complex organization and address the concerns of all those different stakeholders. Did you just develop that organically through hard knocks? I mean, I've always been a very good communicator even since the days that we've worked together, but was that just experience teaching you how to do that?
1: It, it is, and, and it's it, it through a series of mistakes, really. And I think that the, the harsh reality of what marketing operations and technology professionals live in is the, the lack of an interconnectedness of what matters being messaged all the way up and down the chain. So if you're in an organization and the CMO is a, I don't want to worry about technology type leader and you're a technician and your messaging that you're trying to communicate up is all about technology and data problems. Mm. By the time it gets to the person who has budget to spend and who can help solve problems, if all that they're hearing about is technology and data problems and they don't want to understand that or they don't want to embrace solving that, the the ceiling you're bumping into is the, well, that's what we're paying you to do type ceiling and mm-hmm. communicating the value and and connecting with the outcome that someone is looking to or someone is able to or wants to process is the skill set that I think is is very, very important. And that would be if you're in an environment where the CFO doesn't want to think about or doesn't want to understand that, that that's, not their, that's not where their head's at their head is at innovating the brand, then you connect the message to say, our ability to innovate the brand is negatively impacted if we can't send personalized communications at scale, right? Mm -hmm. And the CMO will say, well, yeah, I mean, I can't do ABM if I can't do good personalization. Okay, we can solve that problem. It's going to take some dollars. Can you give me the dollars to solve that problem? Is the conversation you have with that CMO not we need to go into the market put out an RFP figure out which vendors are going to be able to do an analysis that establishes the data quality score of the data set that we got from this acquired like you might know all of that minutia but what you communicate and what you get actions decisions on is not the minutia the minutia is your job but you don't communicate mm-hmm. that necessarily and it's because the ability to know
0: that's the that's the top because truth. they
1: they want it solved, and I have seen dollars get unlocked where they've not been unlocked in the pack because the way it's communicated is just a little different. If you're trying to say we need to solve a Marketo problem, the CMO is going to experience the instinct of, I'm already paying a mass for it. Mar- I don't want to pay any more for it. So the problem isn't a Marketo problem. The problem is a brand experience, or the problem is an ability to scale, or the problem is something, if you're trying to sell at that level, if you're trying to sell solving the problem at that level, the message needs to be appropriate.
0: You know, I had an an experience that captured this not too long ago. Had a a business development BDR leader looking at a a new dialer for his team and, you know, budgets being tight. It's like, no, there's no way you can't bring another tool. What's the, you know, we have dial, (laughs) like why? Did a trial and just just did it and put it with a mm-hmm. team, relatively small team. With the benefit of, of small organizations that you can do that, and massive increase in number of uh, of connected calls and produced a really quotable statistic, like in X amount of time we did as many calls as we did in this whole much bigger period, like a month or whatever. And like you said, that all of us, nobody says, oh, we need a new dialer because it's going to give us capability X Y Z. You have a statistic like that, like well, yeah, this is a no brainer. We have to do this right and it's it's learning it's learning to take this and then to talk about it like that i i think particularly in the enterprise probably more complicated in the enterprise but really in organizations of any size you have to learn to do that to not be perceived as a button pusher for lack of a better word for right. someone that understands business impact and can talk about business impact
1: it also works in those environments where you may be reacting to an executive or a leader who thinks that a, a massive change needs to happen. You know, the, well, we need to move to HubSpot because I've heard it's a lot better than Marketo. And, you know, being able to work in those kinds of environments and work through those sorts of challenges is a communication problem. It, it, it yeah. really is the ability to navigate and... And understand what are the messages that are most important to to have communicated through that. And you aren't always going to win, and that's why this is a fun space to be in.
0: There needs to be a kit, nor the fire extinguisher. Where you hit the glass with the hammer. It's like if your VP went to college with someone who sells Pardot and now they're trying to shift you onto Pardot, You break the, break the glass, and it gives you the thing that you can say. And I mean, I've I've been guilty of
1: of similar sort of rip and replace things in the past and it's it it's scar tissue that you work through
0: i feel the same and i, I think the challenge is because when you part of what brings you into this space is that you love the tools you articulated mm-hmm. it perfectly the endorphin rush of seeing the light go green mm-hmm. like it's a live feeling of like it's working right. it's amazing look at this thing that i did it's amazing and and you can become focused on that as an end in itself, and then you bring that perspective to an executive, and you will get brought up short so quickly because <laughs> yep. they they do not empathize with the thrill of uh, of that achievement. They really care about the business value that's being generated. And um, yeah, yeah, it's a lesson to learn. Absolutely, I have a working theory that as uh, businesses get bigger, they inexorably approach. Becoming a real life Dilbert comic strip. Like the level of mm-hmm. dysfunction that emerges, where part of my working theory is just that, like, systems eventually become so complicated and so self referential that it can become impossible for that to not happen. And obviously, there's all sorts of companies and there's obviously very high performing big companies. But I read an article some time ago, some anonymous with someone who worked at Google and just talking about like how that culture had changed and how so much of what they do is now mm-hmm. just focused on Google stuff. Yeah. versus like the delivering of business value. Agree, disagree with this theory? Am I wrong? Is it, is it possible to be a non-dysfunctional huge company or is some level of dysfunction just inevitable in a system, a corporate system that complex?
1: Well, first I'm going to pick up on the Dilbert reference because in so many ways it is analogous. There, there's a perfect Dilbert comic strip separating it from the author, but from like, the, the comic strip of, um, the, the character saying they're engineering, they're not very happy and they, you know, want to maybe go and do something else. And I've got the middle panel in the strip, but the last panel is the person saying, well, maybe, maybe I'll go into marketing. And, and the, the other character says, oh, that's just liquor and guessing. I mean, that <laughs> the reason we don't have nice things, <laughs> the reason we don't have budgets is because marketing is just liquor and guessing. But the degree of operational dysfunction is correlational to the organization's side. And I don't see that ever changing. And, you know, in the span of um, my business to business sales and marketing career, a good 20-ish years, I have seen a number of different evolutions of hey, there's a whole new way that we can manage this large organization and it's going to be entirely different. I've seen a number of iterations of that. And to a T, when a large enterprise organization looks to adapt itself and change the way it functions, there is a period that that chaos actually creates some alignment and momentum. And then the operational stability Override and you get into the layer upon layer of middle management of those meetings to discuss the meeting about the meeting. Like that, that kind of dysfunction, I believe is always going to persist. I mean, we saw the impacts of the pandemic, the idea that uh, the decentralization, the digital he- head headquarters in Slack where everybody can just work in Slack. We don't need to be all together in the meeting or in the building. And now, uh, got reverse on that where some leaders are saying, Oh, no, we know we, we do have to be back There are some things I completely agree are much more productive in person than they are virtual. But inevitably, the larger the organization, the higher the degree of operational mess and and static. And that's just, that's the way it's going to be.
0: So it comes with the territory, be prepared. Yep. And, you know, obviously some are better than others. Yep. But yeah, I mean, this, the simplest system is a business of one. You're almost always in alignment, easy to make decisions, right. easy to pivot. Yeah. But of course, yeah. so. Impossible the, to, to get the, fired. The f- also look at Mark. The flip side, less does it seem that I'm dumping on big companies, but you get to do big, cool, ambitious things at big companies that just don't get yeah. done. And so as as someone who does enjoy the endorphin rush of scaling those mountains, sometimes smaller companies wouldn't have a need to do that.
1: Yeah, so i I've, I've kind of experienced it if we divide the world into three, the small, the medium, and the large. I have had those experiences at all three ends of the spectrum where, um, you know, looking at the operational complexity of moving into an 80 some odd thousand person company at Salesforce and seeing initiatives succeed at bringing a very powerful change facilitating business into that larger organization when Slack came into Salesforce, seeing some of that you don't get to experience that unless you're in that. The worlds of those sorts of operational alignments and seeing that kind of change at that scale is amazing. And then <laughs> the mid-market type experience of very messy, problematic Marketo issues where Marketo and Dynamics are not sinking. You've bricked the Marketo instance. It's been bricked for weeks. There's big roadblock big jams that need alignment from deep into marketo into deep into the customer organization and getting those things fixed you know having those successes are so amazing and then i've had just you know the the one person air table talking properly to workado doing something in postman getting something to show up over there like it's I think that it depends on your character and what motivates that feeling of success. Absolutely, at the enterprise scale, you get to be in a different ecosystem while you're experiencing your success. But I think if you're looking for that connection and working with people and feeling success by solving challenges... Not that the size doesn't matter, but the scale doesn't really necessarily make a big difference if you're really just tied to that feeling of mm. getting something through.
0: Winning is winning. The you may mm-hmm. be playing on a different board or in a different environment, mm-hmm. but if you understand yep. the rules of the game and you can, I understand that that what you're talking about there. You you twice now, I think at least twice, maybe more. Companies that you've worked for have been acquired by big Fortune 500s. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself like a lucky charm of sorts, or um, do you, is there is there some cosmic effect happening there, or you think that's just a fluke? Yeah,
1: no i i I absolutely believe that um, Benioff made his decision based on where where I was. That no, Paul guy it, looks it,
0: pretty pretty smart. If it's it, right. he's there, yeah, yeah.
1: Now it's uh, it's really just being um, in the right. Place at the right time. Um, I think with the right attitude and the, the right skill set. I'm very lucky, extremely lucky.
0: I have maybe two more questions, but the first, I want to I touch on AI because I know that this is something mm-hmm. I think you're doing a talk on it at Mopsapalooza coming up. Yeah. So clearly, this is an area you've, you've thought a lot about and investing your thought capital into. I'll lay out my perspective and then I, I want to hear yours. I've been dabbling. I, I would say I've kind of approached it from a skeptical place and seen some interesting things from an efficiency point of view, summarizing notes, creating highlights, reviewing calls, and giving transcripts. There's certainly convenience efficiency things. I've been underwhelmed with the, the generative, the creative aspect of it in the sense that a lot of what i've seen has been very either not good, just not good or or generic like you're always going to get something that's generic and and that's what i've struggled mm-hmm. with how can something that's sort of definitionally based on the average of a trillion different data points that it's reviewed how do how do you get something that you've talked a lot about brand experience that produces that good brand experience and your perspective on this maybe be still evolving but i'm just curious for your your take on it yeah i
1: i really believe that we are on the, the verge of a massive transformational change in the space of marketing sales and customer success operations and it's going to be driven through you know the three core pillars of what machine learning can do in our space and that first that you're touching on is the content factor so the the visual and the textual content and what content can be created The second element of transformation is going to be in that automation, personalization, like the the experience at scale through what machine learning can do to ensure that that machine-generated content and imagery and whatnot is delivered to the right audience at the right time, at the right point in the cycle, on the right surface, in the right way. The third element of (laughs) what machine learning will do is the analytics and reporting and feedback and all of the the deeper knowledge of big data and what big data will show and i think that from a maturation perspective your criticism is valid because i believe we're at the dot makes matrix era of putting you know printing pictures off the internet using your dot matrix printer in terms of what generative is going to be able to do in the space we're really at the tip of the iceberg we are pushing large data sets and corporate lineage and history and data into the mix of what the machine learning models are processing when they're generating their content. We haven't yet been able to really test these models over a period of three and four years to develop the voice. Like I think that we're really so early that it's difficult to assess what the technology will do for us but I am a hundred percent confident that when we have this podcast three years from now and revisit this conversation, first it'll be our digital assistants that are having this podcast, not us, but we'll be looking at a very different paradigm of what technology looks like. The idea of, um, you know, the marketing organization being more prompt based where you'll be able to say, suggest a four-step nurture program for this persona in this geography and you're looking and assessing a few possible formats and content mixes and all of smart list building construction Mm -hmm. everything just happens in the background because machine learning has been able to look at and assess and come up with the mixes without us needing to do so so i think our space Needs to be extremely diligent and stay ahead of what machine learning can and can't do, help curate what that change looks like in order to be present in the room once the change has happened.
0: Do you have concerns at all? Or do you feel it is a um, just an unvarnished good and, and benefit that will come from it? Or do you think that there is risk for, and there's obviously a number of different vectors where things could be negatively impacted from? jobs to maybe the quality of the output? Do we diminish the ability of marketers to think about these things if they become too, you know, the kind of WALL-E effect where you become too reliant on the tools? Or do you feel that is an overblown concern?
1: That's another podcast. I mean, I have a lot of concerns and, you know, when we start, so I'm looking at it from the mechanical lens of those three pillars of what machine learning can do. When we start thinking ethics, When we start thinking beyond, like, that's a very different and and scary conversation. But I think we've seen very consistently that enterprises and businesses will make dollar decisions first. And those Mm -hmm. dollar decisions are going to be on the mechanics.
0: Mm -hmm. Just to wrap it up, Paul, you are some months in now into your new venture, GTM Mm -hmm. Systems. Just for those that might be curious, tell us a bit about it and what you're doing and what are the sorts of things you want to do and who do you want to help?
1: Yeah. So I'm still kind of um, putting together what that path looks like. I I describe it as stealth mode because there are a number of different paths to take, but where I'm focusing is on helping organizations assess their readiness for the change that I was just sort of describing. Mm. How do enterprises assess whether or not their data set is mature enough to use in a machine learning um, algorithm how can they assess which vendors are the right vendors at the table to think about moving towards over the course of the next two to three years um what is the operational structure that they may want to look at that says my marketing ops and sales ops organizations need to really become one because SDR and BDR function as a whole is going to be much more machine learning content driven. So I'm going to have three or four rockstar people, but I no longer need 15 humans. So how do we do, how do we enable that transformation? So it's those kinds of pathways that I'm investigating and working with some, some great first customers on. Um, but in terms of establishing scale and how I grow this. I'm being diligent. I do not want to under-deliver, and it's a vast area of potential work. So I do want to kind of establish a, a skill set around it.
0: I'm excited for you. I know uh, whoever you work with will not be disappointed. And where can companies find you on the web if they want to see more about what you do?
1: Uh, the best place to start is LinkedIn. Um, the, the GTM Systems website is still... Um, a fledgling and I'm and working through establishing that so LinkedIn is always the best place will, to start
0: you'll have your LinkedIn in the show notes and uh hey Paul it's always a pleasure to chat with you and these like kind of what our conversations have been like over the years so I'm glad to just have it in a recorded format that other people can listen into that's it for today I want to thank everyone for listening Hey everyone, I want to invite you over to the RevOps FM Substack community, where you can sign up to get rough transcripts, show notes, longer form articles, and other bonus content. Just head over to revops.fm slash subscribe to get free access. I'd also love to know what you thought of the episode, and to hear suggestions for topics you want to learn about. Feel free to leave a comment on Substack, or send me an email at justin at Thanks for listening.